Romans chapter 9, please. Now let's look at the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have of being here today. We thank you for the wonderful privilege of knowing that we are a child of the King if we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Pray, Father God, that as your children today, we would exalt you. Father, as we join together around your word today, that you would meet with us, you would minister to us through your word, you would challenge us by it, encourage us by it, Father God, and that, Lord, we would leave this place this day singing your praise, having known that we've been in your presence. Lord, give me wisdom, I pray, that I might speak that which you would have me to speak and I might bring glory to your name by uh, these my words. And Lord, use me, Father God, for your glory today. Bless our time around your word now. We'll be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as you read Romans chapter 9 through chapter 11, it is clear that Paul has a burden for his brethren, for the nation of Israel. It is clear that that burden was moved, uh, it's that burden that moved him to write these chapters. And as we started in Romans chapter 9 last time, we considered the burden of Paul, the genuine nature of Paul's burden, and the depth of Paul's burden in verses 1 through 3. Now as we continue in Romans chapter 9 verses 4 and 5, we want to consider firstly the cause of Paul's burden, the cause of Paul's burden here in verses 4 and 5, where we read, Who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises? Who are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who was over all. God bless forever. Amen. His burden, as you read Romans chapter 9 and verses 4 and 5, the burden of the Apostle Paul for the nation of Israel is caused in part by his knowledge that his brethren, the Jews, were a privileged people. That God had given them privilege upon privilege, blessing upon blessing. They were God's special people. They were his chosen nation. And yet they'd failed to live up to that position. They'd failed to live up to their privileged position. They'd rejected their God. They turned back their back upon God. And so Paul's burden is driven by this fact, this knowledge of all the things that God had done for Israel. And despite that, they turned their back upon their God. Now today when we see the nation of Israel, we're not apt to think of them as a privileged people. Israel also certainly doesn't look privileged when it's suffering in the hands of its enemies and the critics of the nation of Israel. And we've seen that graphically portrayed for us, played out for us over the, the last week or the last couple of weeks where they've been under attack from Gaza with all those rockets firing at them and the critics have come out against them. And by and large, they have been under attack by the media. And if you've listened to the media, and if you listen particularly to our ABC, 
you will have heard them claiming that this conflict is Israel's fault. But you know, that claim that this is all Israel's fault is a false claim. It's interesting, I, I read in the Australian newspaper on Monday an article about this very conflict, and I just want to read you one portion that this commentator said that clarifies what this conflict, this present conflict in Gaza is all about. He says this, the Australian media have largely swallowed a false narrative about the origins of the latest conflict as a localized property dispute in the Arab East Jerusalem neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah. This dispute, still before Israeli courts, has been portrayed as an attempt by Jews to settle an Arab neighborhood. It's been called ethnic cleansing. That is nonsense. It's a rent dispute. The owners of the properties concerned are Jewish. They approved title going back to 1875. The properties were occupied by German military, Danian military forces in the 1950s after the invasion by five Arab armies, including Egypt and Jordan, which refused to accept the UN declaration of the State of Israel in 1948. The Arab tenants of the disputed properties have not paid rent since the 1990s. These properties are 75 kilometers from Gaza, an enclave that was part of Egypt until Israel again defeated invading Arab armies in the 1967 war. The conflict in East Jerusalem is not about Israeli settlements, but a rent dispute. And the media, by and large, has not reported that. And we could list more things like that, including the growing anti-Jewish sentiment around the world and the latest UN resolutions against Israel. And when you and I consider all of that, when you listen to the media, when you listen to politicians, when you listen to what's going on around the world, and you see what the UN is doing, it's, and this happens almost daily, and you see the daily attacks upon the nation of Israel, Israel doesn't seem like a privileged people. You know, Israel in God's eyes were and are a privileged nation. And that's the point that Paul is making here in Romans chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. And it's this fact, that this nation of Israel had been so blessed by their God that they that caused him to have such a burden for his brethren. In Romans 9, 4 and 5, we have listed for us an illustration of that privilege, of those blessings. And this explains the pain in the Apostle Paul's heart. This explains the sorrow that he has. This is why the Apostle Paul is more than willing to sacrifice himself for the sake of his brethren that they might be saved. When you consider how God has blessed them with all their privileges of being his own special people, when you consider how they rejected their God, how they rejected their Messiah, that's what caused the burden of the Apostle so much so that he was willing to be separated from his God for eternity, if that would mean that they would be saved. You know, as we look at our friends, and we look at our workmates, we look at our neighbors, I wonder, are we burdened for them? You know, they're blind. They cannot see their need. They cannot see that they need the Savior. And the Bible tells us that they are without excuse 
because God has demonstrated himself to be powerful for their understanding. You and I ought to be burdened for them as the Apostle Paul was burdened for his brethren. We ought to be burdened for our brethren. I wonder, do we have a genuine concern for their souls? We should. Now, with Paul's burden in mind, let's consider then Israel's advantage here in these two verses, verses 4 and 5. Here he names eight special blessings, or eight advantages of the Jews. Now, first of all, in verse 4, he says, Who are Israelites? That is, they were a separated people under God. The name Israelite speaks of that separation. Now, in the book of Romans, the, the apostle uses the name Israelite and uses the name Jews. The word Israelite implies the chosen people of God, whereas Jews simply distinguishes them from the Gentiles. You know, he, the Jews and the Gentiles, he talks about the Jews and the Gentiles so often. He's talking about these two groups of people to distinguish the, them from each other. But when he uses the word Israelite like he does here, it's speaking of this special character of the, the people of Israel, this, that they're God's chosen people. This was their national name. They were descendants of Jacob, whose name had been changed to Israel. Look in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 5, please. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 5. Apostle Paul talking about himself, he says in verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew Hebrews, touch the law of Pharisee, of the stock of Israel. That's the point here. The Israelites, they were God's chosen people. They were the ones who were descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Their very name bore, uh, the, the, their title bore their position bore uh, the, the fact that they were God's chosen people. And the very name Israelite gave the apostle cause for concern. Back in Numbers 23 and verse 9, we read about them, about the nation of Israel. Historically, Israel as a nation had been separated from the other nations of the world. And back in Numbers, we read, 23, 9, for from the top of the rocks I see him. And from the hills I behold him, lo, the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. They were to be separated from the other nations. They were set aside. When God called out Abraham from the Ur of the Chaldees to become the father of this grand nation of Israel, his intent was that Israel would be separated from all the other nations. They would stand out as a beacon, as a light to the Gentile nations of, of people that love God, of people who serve the living God who served Jehovah. They were to be his testimony. They were to be his light to the Gentile world that the Gentiles might come to know him. They were his special people. You know, as we consider that, we as believers need to remember that we too are God's special people. We are chosen of him. We are his children. We're told in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, that we are called to a holy calling. 
God has chosen us according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, to be ambassadors for Christ. A holy calling is that you and I might indeed, as ambassadors for Christ, bring glory to God and preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. You and I have a special calling of God. Just like the nation of Israel. Like the nation of Israel, we ought to be careful that we don't fail in our responsibility. You see, that was their holy calling. That was their responsibility. They were to be ambassadors for God on this earth as a testimony of the greatness of God that the Gentiles might be saved. They failed their responsibility. They failed in their calling. And God then turned away from Israel and turned to the church. And that's the generation in which we live in. We live in the church age. We are God's called out people to be his witnesses, to be his testimony, to be his ambassadors. We need to be careful that we don't follow in the footsteps of Israel and fail in our responsibility. Secondly, he says here in verse 4, to whom pertaineth the adoption? You know, they were divinely adopted. God graciously had adopted the nation of Israel. That is, he regarded them as his special people. Go back with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy. Chapter 7, please. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6. Deuteronomy 7, 6. For thou art an holy people under the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself. Above all them that are upon the face of the earth. Then in chapter 14 of Deuteronomy, please. Chapter 14 and verse 1. Ye are the children of the Lord your God. Ye shall not cut yourselves, nor make any baldness between your eyes for the dead. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. And the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself, above all the nations that are upon the earth. They were God's chosen people. They were God's special people. They were God's holy people. They were set aside unto the Lord. God had adopted them as his people. They were his children. They were his firstborn. And being his firstborn gave them special privileges. But the amazing thing is they still rejected their God. God had called them out from all the other nations. God had blessed them abundantly. He displayed his power in mighty ways. He gave unto them the Ten Commandments and so much more. And yet they rejected their God and rejected their privileged position and their responsibility. You know, as believers, we have a higher privilege. You and I are born in the family of God, and we've also been adopted by God. Galatians chapter 4, please. Galatians chapter 4. And verse 4. Says when, uh, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made in a woman, made on the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. You and I have been redeemed, 
and we've been adopted. He saved us. We were born in the family of God, and then God made us joint heirs with Christ. He gave unto us all the rights and privileges of adult sons. We've been blessed abundantly. We have been set apart by God to be his special people. And it must be remembered always that with privilege comes responsibility. And we have a responsibility to live up to our position in Christ as his children, as those who have been adopted into his family. The third thing he says about the nation of Israel in verse 4 is, and the glory. They had the glory of God. The glory here that is spoken about in Romans chapter 9 is God's kind of glory. It's that visible glory that Israel saw. Remember when they were leaving Egypt, they were led by day by the cloud and by night by the fire. They saw the glory of the Lord. They saw the glory of the Lord on Mount Sinai when Moses went up to receive the Ten Commandments. They saw the glory of the Lord rest over the tabernacle and the temple. They knew and they saw God's glory, the cloud of glory showing God's presence to his people. Go back with me to Exodus 40, please. Exodus 40. And verse 34. It says, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was unable to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon. thereon. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journey. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and the fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. They saw God's glory. They had a visible, tangible example of the glory of God before them, day in, day out. They could see his presence with them. Which makes it all more remarkable, isn't it? They still rejected him. And as believers, you know, we're blessed because you and I have the glory of the Lord dwelling in us through the indwelling Holy Spirit. We don't just have to look to the tabernacle and see the glory of the Lord as a cloud or a fire, pillar of fire. You and I have within us the indwelling Holy Spirit. And as they were to follow the leading of the Lord daily, as they looked for that cloud, and when the cloud was lifted and moved on, they were to pack up the tabernacle and it was to move and follow the cloud. You and I, day by day, need to consider the leading of the Holy Spirit. We need to surrender to him. So that you and I might follow him and we might bring glory to him day by day. They also had the covenants, according to verse 4. It says, and the covenants. This is speaking about the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant. These wonderful covenants of God that he gave unto them. Many of them were unconditional. The Abrahamic covenant was an unconditional covenant. Where God promised to Abraham and to the nation of Israel, he promised them the land, he promised them 
uh, a seed that one day Messiah would come and that was not dependent upon what Israel did. It was simply dependent upon God. And then there was the Mosaic Covenant, you know, that if they obeyed him, he would bless them. If they disobeyed him, he would curse them. The Davidic Covenant, whereby God promised the coming of Messiah. These were the covenants that Israel had, the promises of Almighty God made to them. God took the initiative. He reached out to the nation of Israel and he covenanted with them. And that bound him to them. He bound him to the nation of Israel and bound the nation of Israel to him. He made promises that he cannot break. But even here, the nation of Israel would not follow him. And when we consider you and I, we need to consider that we too are blessed for today the Lord has reached out to us with the gospel, with the new covenant. God has promised us in the New Testament, the new covenant, that all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. And that now that we're saved, he wants to bless us. He wants us to have life and have it more abundantly. You and I have been blessed. Even as Israel was blessed with the old covenant, we've been blessed with the new covenant. They were custodians of the law, according to verse 4, and the giving of the law. They were to keep the law. They were to administer the law. Look what it says in Romans chapter 3, if you would please. Chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. God committed to them his law. He committed to them his word. He committed to them his commandments, that they then were supposed to pass on from generation to generation indeed to pass on to other nations. The giving of the Mosaic law was a great privilege for Israel. And when we bring that across the New Testament, you understand that it corresponds to the teaching of Christ for you and I as believers like Israel, we've been blessed because you and I have been called upon to be the custodians of the faith, the body of belief that was passed down from generation to generation. We are to uphold the faith. We're told in Jude chapter 1 and verse 3 that you and I as believers are to earnestly contend for the faith. Paul told Timothy that he had entrusted to him the faith. Word of God, the scriptures were given to him and given to us. You and I have in our very possession the word of God, the scriptures, the inspired, infallible word of God, inerrant word of God. You and I are the custodians of the faith. The Lord says in Timothy that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. We're the place which holds truth dear. That if people want to know where truth is found, it's found amongst believers. It's found, it ought to be found in churches. This is our responsibility. In the Old Testament, people were to look to Israel. That's where you found the faith. 
That's where you found the truth. That's where you found the knowledge of God. In the New Testament, it's the church, the individual Christians. We're the ones. We're the custodians of the faith. And we're the contend for this faith. So the souls might be saved and lives might be changed. Number six, they had the service of God, according to verse four. It says, the service of God. The Jews called true worship the service of God. And they called false worship strange service. So when he speaks about service, the service here, and notice of God's in italics, so the service here, the service here is talking about true worship of God. It signifies the whole worship of God. That's the sacrifices, the prayers, the praise, the daily, weekly, monthly, yearly sacrifices and rituals and, and traditions that they had. The Jewish sacrificial system was known as the temple service and enabled Israel to have fellowship with their God. They had the privilege of having fellowship with him. They could go to him daily. They could go to him weekly. They went to him monthly and annually uh, with the grand uh, uh, ceremony of the Passover being the, the, the wonderful ceremony of the a reminder of the Passover lamb back there in Egypt, but are looking forward to Christ, the Lamb of God, which would take away the sin of the world, the wonderful uh, imagery of all the feasts and all the festivals and all the sacrifices. The nation of Israel were privileged as God gave them all of these things. And now that privilege has passed on to you and I, beloved. We have the privilege of availing ourselves of worshipping him through the work of the high priest, of our high priest Christ. You and I can have boldness to enter into the very presence of God because of what Christ did at Calvary. You and I can worship him in spirit and in truth because of Jesus Christ. You and I can be here today and we can sing praise of thanksgiving unto God because of what Jesus Christ did for us. We are the child of the King today because of Calvary. We've been blessed as believers. They had the promises, verse 4. It says, and the promises. Both temporal and spiritual promises. You know, the greatest of the promises that God gave to them was related to the Messiah. Everything in the tabernacle pointed to the Messiah. The promise of God inevitably led to the promise of the coming Messiah. The Abrahamic covenant, uh, the grand part of that is the fact that Abraham's seed one day would lead to all the nations of the world being blessed by his seed, Jesus Christ. One commentator said he also gave them his law to govern their political, social, and religious life and to guarantee his blessing if they obeyed. The promises revealed to the patriarchs guaranteed that God would do things for them, that God would act on their behalf. That because they were his people, God would do this. Because they were his people, God would fulfill these responsibilities. The promises of God. 
You know, today God's promises to you and I guarantee that God will act on our behalf. Look what it says back in Acts, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. <laughs> Here's a great promise. What shall we say? Uh, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? You know, we have been blessed, beloved, with promises of God that are absolute. Promise after promise after promise that are ours because we are his children. We have a wonderful God that has blessed us in a mighty way. But not only that, they had the patriarchs. Look in verse 5. Whose are the fathers? Whose are the fathers? The patriarchs were the fathers. These are the ones to whom God gave the promises. Before Israel was a nation. You know, when you consider the nation of Israel, they had been honored with an illustrious ancestry. The patriarchs include Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. This is, these are the patriarchs that existed before they became a nation. God had given them a grand heritage. The Jewish people could look back at their heritage and they could see what God had done for them through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. These patriarchs that they held dear. But you know what they did was they became more obsessed with their patriarchs than they did with accepting their Messiah. They thought because they were the sons of Abraham, they were fine, they were on the way to heaven. And the Lord Jesus Christ had come and explained to them that being the sons of Abraham doesn't make them on the way to heaven. It's by faith in God that saves them. The phrase that goes on there in verse 5, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, means Israel not only gave us the great fathers of the Old Testament, but Jesus Christ himself came by the nation of Israel. This entire spiritual legacy makes Israel's unbelief even more problematic. This is some great heritage. This is, what, this is what's burdening the Apostle Paul as he considers his people and he considers all the privileges that they have and the way that God has dealt with them and the way that God has blessed them and the way that God has met their needs throughout the generation after generation after generation how that they had then turned their back upon God. God promised the Messiah. He came through Israel, but they rejected him. That makes their unbelief all the more problematic. The section, verse 5, ends with, who is overall, sorry, uh, who are the fathers, and of whom, as concerned the flesh, Christ came, who is overall, God bless forever, Amen. This statement is one of Paul's clearest statements that Jesus Christ is God. This little benediction doxology here, before he says amen, before he moves on this chapter, is him declaring that Jesus Christ is God. Christ came in the flesh, and he's overall. He's God-blessed forever. Amen. 
that not only did they receive the Messiah, but they received God incarnate in the flesh, came to the world via the nation of Israel. And yet this privilege did not help them. The purpose of these privileges was that Jesus Christ through Israel might come into the world and that the world might recognize him as the Savior. And yet this privileged nation is still to this day spiritually dead. They're in the land, but they're in unbelief. They're still the apple of God's eye. They're still God's chosen people, but they're in unbelief. They still reject their Messiah for the most part. It's no wonder that Paul was burdened for his people. They'd missed God's purpose for them. They rejected Christ. They rejected their Messiah. They'd rejected the witness of the Holy Spirit. This mighty nation, the nation of Israel, is an unbelief. Beloved, God's people need for us to pray for them today. We need to pray for Israel. More than ever, we need to pray for that nation. We need to pray that God will open their eyes to see their Messiah. Beloved, we need, to, we need to pray for his people in a world that is bent on their destruction. It's even the case now whereby their long-term ally, America, is starting to turn. Instead of being pro-Israel, many in the Biden administration are anti-Israel and pro-Palestinian. And we know where this is all heading, don't we? Jesus is coming soon. And you and I are going to be raptured out of here. We're going to join the Lord in the air. And we're going to be with the Lord, ever be with the Lord. And the tribulation is going to ensue. And God is going to bring Israel to its knees. And they're going to come and turn and cry out to Messiah. And when they do, Jesus Christ will come back and stand upon the Mount of Olives the nation in the millennial kingdom, and he will fulfill his promises to the nation of Israel. But while we wait till Jesus comes, we need to pray for the nation of Israel. Now obviously, even though God has blessed the Israelites greatly, their blessing does not exceed the blessings that you and I as believers enjoy. You know, the book of Hebrews states that God's blessings of Christians under the New Covenant, under the New Covenant, surpass the blessings of God on Israel under the Old Covenant. And you and I need to remember that as believers, you and I are blessed. You and I as believers are, are, are seen God bless us in mighty ways. We're a privileged people. Turn with me in closing to First Peter, if you would please. First Peter chapter two. In 1 Peter chapter 2, the Lord speaks of you and I and what we are. 
In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, we read this. But ye, that's us, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people. You know, you and I are blessed indeed because you and I are a chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a peculiar people. Those words sound familiar? That's how he described Israel in the Old Testament. That's how we're described now in the New Testament. We are God's chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a peculiar people. And because we are, verse 9 goes on to explain to us why we're in such a privileged position. Why did God give us this privileged position? Well, look at the end of verse 9. That ye should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into marvelous light. The reason why God has chosen you and I as a chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, peculiar people, is so that you and I might show forth the praises of him who hath called us out of darkness into a marvelous light. And then in verses 10 through 12, he goes to explain it further. He says, which in time past were not a people, but now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strange and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. We are here to show forth his praise. And the reason we're to do that is that they, by our good works, which they, the unsaved world, shall behold, shall glorify God in the day of visitation. In other words, that they too may be saved. God chose you and I as his people in Christ to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a peculiar people that you and I might show forth his praise to a lost and dying world so that they might be saved and rejoice also in the day of visitation. We were saved, been saved for a purpose. And that purpose is to show forth his glory. To show forth his praise. To glorify God day by day. Beloved, we need to ask the Lord to give you and I a real burden for the lost. To remember the Lord saved us to show forth his praise, to show forth his glory. So the lost by our testimony might be saved. Our mission in life is to bear testimony for Christ. Let's live up to our position and fulfill our mission to glorify the Lord. Let's pray. 
Gracious Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for the book of Romans. And we thank you, Father God, that you allowed the Apostle Paul to share his burden with us for his people Israel. And Lord, as we consider that nation that's so blessed of you, and yet today as unbelief, we would ask, Father God, that you would open the eyes of your people, that they might see their Messiah, they might call upon him, and they might be saved. And Lord, help us as believers, as your peculiar people, as your royal priesthood. Help us, Father God, to be what we ought to be. Help us to show forth your praise, show forth your glory, so that those who are unsaved might get saved and bring glory to God in the day of visitation. Lord, challenge us through your word this morning and bless us now as we close in Jesus' name.